It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. singing Benny and the Jets. Uh, Elton John did one of his final farewell concerts, yes, I said that correctly, at uh, MetLife Stadium over the weekend. He's doing apparently two of these farewell concerts. And uh, still just an incredible performer by all accounts. Uh, A uh, really an incredibly talented musician. Well, if you are lucky, hopefully you don't know much about cults because chances are if you know a lot about cults that means you or a loved one have had something to have had some negative experience with a cult because the more you learn about cults the more you find out that there are almost only negative experiences now a lot of times the word cult gets overused we use the term um cult following as if to uh, refer to a film or a television program that only a few people know about and really enjoy. We use the term cult of personality uh, to talk about people that uh, are really, they have followers not based on any ideology or principle, but based on who they happen to be. But other than that, I feel like a lot of people just sort of have some vague idea of what cults are And that uh, cults tend to recruit people who are battling with loneliness, depression, anxiety, something along those lines. In fact, a lot of you may remember the television program Seinfeld when George is over the moon that he's going to have some carpet cleaners come to his house and he's getting a really good deal. But he ultimately finds that the reason he is getting such a good deal well, there's a little more to it than meets the eye. I gotta go home and up at the house for the carpet cleaners. You know they're doing my whole place for $25? Oh, no, no, no. Not the sunshine carpet cleaners. Yeah, you heard of them? They're a crazy religious cult. The carpet cleaning is just a means for them to get into your apartment. So, for a $25 cleaning, I can listen to some pointless blather. I do it. I'm not even getting the cleaning. (laughs) We're pretty much finished. There's just one more thing. There it comes. You forgot to sign your check. Sorry. You sure uh, there isn't anything else? 
Yeah. So that's it? Uh, unless you need a receipt. I wish that was all I needed. Life can be so confusing. I'm searching for answers anywhere. Good luck with that. Did I? <laughs> Spencer Schneider has been all over the place. You might have read him about, about him in the New York Post just yesterday. Everybody is talking about his book. He's a native of Long Island, a, a lawyer, and he was a part of this cult called School. And uh, he is someone who now, as uh, the author of this new memoir called Manhattan Cult Story, my unbelievable true story of sex, crimes, chaos, and survival, has been doing whatever he can to shed some light onto what cults do in general and what school does and did specifically. Spencer, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Thanks for having me, Frank. Love your show. Uh, well, that's, uh, thank you. That's awfully nice of you to say. Hey, so just so folks know your perspective and where you were coming from, what was going on in your life prior to your involvement in school? Well, I had a really um, very upbringing. I grew up in Long Island. Um, you know, uh, Spencer, you, your, your yeah. phone's a little screwy, so I'm, I'm going to put you on hold, and maybe you can get to a better a better serv- okay. a, a better area in terms of uh, of service, so that we don't want to miss. Uh, a word here, just to double check, uh, Kenneth, on uh, on Spencer's uh, you know availability there. I'm talking with Spencer Schneider, his book, which everybody's talking about, it's fast becoming one of the most talked about and best selling books anywhere. Manhattan Cult Story: My Unbelievable True Story of Sex, Crimes, Chaos, and Survival. And uh, he also has this blog about school. It's called Cult Revolt. And uh, he's also a contributing editor for East Magazine. Uh, Spencer, I think we uh, we have you back there. Uh, sorry, please continue. Yeah, I, I'm here now. I hope it sounds better. Great. Um, yeah. So, um, you know, I, I grew up in Long Island. I had a very excellent family. Um, you know, uh, they gave me everything I needed. I had an excellent background. Um, went to a great college. Went to a great law school. Got a great job. Very lucky. Um and when I was 29, I, I would say the most difficult thing that I went through, well, two things. One was my father passed away when I was 25, which was a difficult situation, but not unusual. A lot of people have that kind of tragedy in their life. But um, and also not unusual was that I worked really hard um, when I was 29. I spent most of my time working, you know, 10, 12-hour days uh, like a lot of people do. Um, and I guess when you're young and and anytime you want to have more fun in your life. And I guess that was the most vulnerable thing that I had in my life. And I certainly opposite to George, I was looking for, I mean, I don't think he was looking for a cult, but I certainly was not looking for, I I mean, any kind of, um, uh, group or anything spiritual, at all in my life. Uh, that wasn't what I thought I, I wanted or needed. Um, and it wasn't for sure. Um, but I mean, that's kind of the lead up. To keep mm-hmm. going and well, uh, so, and, and again, involved. and again, Spencer, your, your phone is a little screwy. So if, if you could mm-hmm. get to an area where that might have a little bit better uh, service, then, um, you know, that would be, that would be great. Cause I don't want to miss anything. 
Um, yeah, okay. I, I am curious then, it sounds like you have a relatively normal, well-adjusted life. You're clearly a very intelligent guy. You're not someone that's uh, considered from the wrong side of the tracks at all. How did you get involved in school, the cult school? Yeah, I'm terribly sorry about my phone connection. I'm trying to find spots in my house um, to speak. I got involved because I was invited by um, a friend, you know, Ivy-educated guy, last person you'd expect to be involved in a group. He was kind of investigating me, grooming me for several weeks uh, to just learn more about me and see if I'd be open to what he said was joining um, a, a study group to talk about esoteric ideas and to um, you know improve your life. That's really what he said. My initial reaction was that it sounded culty to me, literally. I mean, that's literally what I said to him. And, um, you know, I, I agreed after he pressured me to go to a single meeting, which I found, uh, which was simply in a loft in downtown Manhattan, 1989. Um, a bunch of uh, people like me, you know, middle class, uh, you know, professionals, really, mostly all professionals, more than middle class. You know, we were, uh, uh, you know, have more than most, I would say. And, um, uh, you know, I wasn't inclined to return, but um, I had a crisis in my life. I, I lost my job um, in that first month. And when I needed people around me and to support me in a way that really nobody had ever in my life, even though I had a great support and whatnot in my life. These people were so encouraging and so loving in a room full of 60 people and the leaders were just there in a way that was unlike anything I'd had before. And uh, what was your job at the time that you, that you had lost? Yeah, I was working at, as an associate in one of the firms in the city. Um, but it actually was um, dissolving. And so I had to find something else. Um, and uh, I actually decided to start my own firm, and which I've been doing continuously since then. Um, but they were there to sort of uh, encourage that effort to start my own firm. And I became very successful doing that. And I attributed that success to my involvement with them. Oh, and so the trajectory that you just uh, that you just uh, described, experiencing a setback, or maybe for some people it's worse, maybe it's a full fledged tragedy, and right. feeling despondent about it, and then having this group of people that's there to lift you up, and then you overcome that setback, and you ascribe that uh, that overcoming of the setback to the group that's lifting you up and surrounding you. Is that a pretty common trajectory in cult world from what you gather? Uh, uh, that's textbook. Textbook. That's textbook. And, and this group was really good at identifying people who were in a particular sweet spot of being successful, um, you know, making money, being, uh, you know, highly educated. You know, I loved studying. I loved philosophy. I missed that, you know, and they uh, attracted themselves. Uh, they, they made themselves um, uh, interested in those kind of people and because they wanted, you know, wealthy people mostly. And but also who were somehow dissatisfied with something. 
could have been anything from losing a job to not a spouse that they liked or any spouse or just missing something that uh, that they were able to promise. I mean, this is, you know, Frank, this is really the textbook playbook of all kinds of hoaxers. You know, all con men, con women, they do the same thing. They promise you what you want with no intention of delivering. So uh, let's talk about about your group specifically. Who was Sharon Gans? Sharon Gans um, was a um, uh, an actress uh, who uh, appeared in uh, off Broadway shows in the '60s in New York, and then was in Slaughterhouse Five. She, uh, it, which was the one movie she was in, she met a man named Alex Horn, and uh, they lived in San Francisco for many years, and they founded. This theater group uh, in the in the late seventies in San Francisco, which was really uh, uh, you know a front for a cult, and they um, were alleged to have abused uh, members of the theater company and and whatnot, and were eventually you know uh, exposed by the San Francisco Chronicle, and moved to New York, and then went underground and kind of rebranded themselves as teachers of an esoteric school. But that was the big thing. They wanted to stay secret in New York because they didn't want scrutiny. And that secrecy is now over, as you mentioned, because it's now becoming known um, uh, in the world, which is a good thing. How would they get, how would they recruit such prominent people, such top-tier people, lawyers, businessmen, others, these are intelligent people like yourself. How could all these folks be fooled into joining a group like this? Well, they cast a very wide net. And so I would say their attention, you know, the attention rate was very low. Um, but they recruited, like I say, a wide net. And the way they did it was by having, you know, um, uh, the most, you know, the best people with the best personalities and whatnot. You know, just meet strangers and befriend them in public places in New York. And that's how they still do it now to this day. You know, they'll meet folks at a coffee shop or, you know, a, a bookstore or whatnot, make friends, sort of wine and dine for time, find out about them, vet them, make sure they're the type of people who are not going to talk about this, and then invite them to a meeting. Some people, uh, you know, aren't interested. They don't stay long. But some people stay, and many have stayed for decades, like I did. And what sort of – and we're talking with Spencer Schneider, author of the book Manhattan Cult Story. And this group, school, what sort of stuff would they do? What would you do? What was sort of the cult activities that everybody would be expected to participate in? Right. So, again, nobody thinks they're joining a cult. I didn't think I was joining a cult. I thought I was uh, joining something called school, and it was really simple. He met two nights a week, um, uh, you know, seven o'clock to midnight and had, you know, discussions. We had meetings. We had, uh, uh, you know, so, sort of we talked about books, um, uh, the philosophy of Gertrude and of Spensky, and we sort of had like a group therapy session. But there were other things we did as well. Um, uh, the leader had a, a, a ranch in Montana. Many of us were there each summer and we helped construction we did work there and um we did our construction work in in the new york area and 
Um, uh, and there were other things, but it wasn't like we did um, like the Seinfeld uh, carpet cleaning company. It was nothing like that. And um, there were reports that school would actually force gay people into conversion therapy. Is that true? And yes. what would the cult have to gain by forcing gay people to convert? Well, uh, they have absolutely nothing to gain because it's not possible to convert you know, uh, people to anything. I mean, they're just born that way, and that's uh, how how it is. But um, I think what I, I I don't think it was a financial thing as much. There weren't that many of it happening, but there were plenty. I think it just satisfied the leaders Sharon's desire to control people's lives, and she and her husband were, uh, you know, very anti, uh, you know, very anti-gay, very homophobic. Idea. You know, Spencer, I, I, I'm really not hearing you. So uh, we're going to have to reschedule, uh, I think, uh, on a day when we can get you uh, on a better phone connection or better yet, maybe in studio or something. I, I, uh, okay. I'm i sorry because I, I really am. Uh, I'm so interested in your story and your take on uh, on all this. But uh, I, I appreciate the, um, the the time. I hope folks were able to uh, to make out a bit of what what you said. Let's let's do this again soon. We'll regroup and re- and do this again soon. Thanks. I will. I'll, I'll come by. Great. Great. That'd be great. Thank you. Okay. Much appreciate it.